Somebody's going to go bridge here. It's better time. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thumbridge Podcast, episode 116, presented by Guy Boston Sports. My name is Andrew Gardner, joined alongside by Alex Clausen and Steve Brady. Boys, how are we doing today? You know, I was expecting today to feel like a Robin Lopez tweet when he said, this is just like the time in Muppets take Manhattan when the Muppets, after unsuccessfully taking Manhattan, split up and leave Manhattan. But I can tell you what, I feel like we took Manhattan and left as the Muppets. So uh, I'm excited for this one. It's a, it's a good episode. Um, breaking the fourth wall, we've already recorded with the uh, the title guest, uh, and it is a great episode. What, Steve? And it is Steve, a great episode. A ge- we got a guest? Steve. Yes. Would you yeah. feel like that this would be like being a Muppet and going into Manhattan and successfully taking Manhattan? I don't know how you could take an entire district of New York City. <laughs> well, the Muppets did it. Simply just not feasible. Yeah, we got Tyler Murray on the show today. Uh, Woo Sox broadcaster. He does does games for Nesson, Hockey East. Um, great guest. This was, this was one of my favorite interviews that we've done. All around great guy. Just a great guy. Great guy. Um, yeah, a lot of Woo Sox talk. A lot of if you're uh interested in getting into broadcasting, there's Some a, advice. Lot, a lot of that too. Um, a lot of good stuff. Also, before we throw it into this, I just want to say a little uh pat on my back. Got the got the new mic today. Last week's episode, I apologize. My, first of all, the mic I had before was was really really bad, but I also forgot to plug it in next last week. So I was just hitting raw, like whatever just raw computer I, that thing. Just whatever computer I have here. Uh just just system audio. It sounded real bad, but got this nice uh audio technica mic now. Um so hopefully this is sounding nice and nice and crispy. Very crispy. Thanks, Hoss. Sounds good. Thanks. Sounds good. We're uh yeah. We got anyway. anything uh, Red Sox related that we need to talk about? Uh, we can do that after the interview because we're going to throw it to Tyler Murray right now. All right. Welcome to the show. Woo Sox play-by-play broadcaster and Nesson hockey broadcaster, Tyler Murray. Tyler, excited to have you on the show this week. How are we doing? You're excited. I'm excited. Thank you guys for having me on. It's good to be with you. Now we uh, we appreciate you, you coming on. So first off, do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about how you got started broadcasting and, you know, was was baseball always what you kind of wanted to get into? Yeah, I think I, I went to BU and I wanted to be a baseball beat reporter. I thought that was the coolest job in the world um, just because, I mean, you guys are doing it too. It's like, okay, how can I find a career doing what I love? And what I love doing was watching baseball. Um, and I just thought, you know, being with the team, flying on the team flights, talking to the players every day, like what could be better than that? Um, and it just turned out my um, my roommate was, I guess, auditioning, you could say, for the student radio at BU in the first couple of weeks. And he kind of dragged me along. And from there, uh, there wasn't, I mean, there were early opportunities there. So I got to try out a lot of stuff, pre and post, some color early on, then eventually play by play. And I was just hooked. And it was also during a time where, this is over 10 years ago now, um, it was really the beginning of print media going online. And, and a lot of our professors thought that was the end of print for good, not just a transition. So there were there were maybe some scare tactics about, I don't know if you want to get into print right now, but the timing just worked out great for me. So um, yeah, always, always baseball and sports, but maybe in a different way uh, than it's wound up. 
And tell us a little bit about your time. So at BU, I know working with Andrew, so Andrew kind of does the same thing. Andrew kind of works everything. I mean, he's calling, you know, women's volleyball. And I don't know that Andrew's ever watched a women's volleyball game before he started working for uh, for UNH Athletics. Nope. <laughs> was, that, was that the same kind of thing for you? Or did you were you able to position yourself pretty well into what you wanted to go into? That, that's such a good question, because right away, everyone at BU wants to do men's hockey, right? And yeah. that doesn't happen until you're a senior. Um, so for me, the first games were field hockey and softball, which um, I was always surprised how much I enjoyed it right away. Like, there's no baseball team at BU. So doing the Cape League my sophomore summer was the first baseball I'd ever done. Um, and I'm sure Andrew will get into the the freelance circuit in New England once once you graduate. But Harvard is a great example. Harvard does such a good job with their productions. Nesson picks up a lot of them because they're such high quality. But they cover almost every sport at Harvard. So I, in the, not anymore, but in the past I used to do uh, swimming and diving, wrestling. Uh, I, rugby's on the list. I've never done that one, though. But the craziest one for me was fencing. Okay, I, I, I'm a, long story short, I'm a 49ers fan. So the Super Bowl against the Chiefs a few years ago, I was trying to distract myself. I was going to be stressed all day waiting for the game to happen. And obviously it was a stressful experience, but like, how can I kill time? Oh, there's a fencing broadcast I can sign up for on that day. So I did that having almost no idea besides the prep you obviously do. Um, and that's just, I think it helps you appreciate when you do get into the, maybe the, what they call them four major sports a little more, but that's when you really kind of gain consistency and skill being able to learn a sport that maybe you're not so familiar with. Can I ask how, how you go about, broadcasting a, a swim meet like oh man um so uh it was me and adam giardino on this one and adam is one of the best broadcasters in the country he does a lot of stuff for uconn uh, we went in minor league baseball and um it was a swimming and diving event at the same time except this was in the kind of primitive stages they didn't have a camera on the dives or any information so it was a wide out zoomed angle of the diving board and adam basically was like well that's a nice little flip there and we had no scores, no nothing. And it was just like, oh, that, I'm not positive, but that looked pretty good. We'll try to find out later. And we never did. Um, but the swimming swimming events, they can go anywhere between you know, one minute and a, a several minutes. So just during that time, you're kind of just reading bios of these student athletes and saying, oh, this guy might win. His time is the best in this event. So keep an eye on him. But it's not exactly like, oh, he's got a shoulder length lead on this guy back and forth. They didn't really go there until the, the very end of it. So um and that stuff is all just watching the Olympics, like just watching the professionals do it. And that that's a big part of um, how you kind of develop uh, and find out what works. Because you see the people who are doing it at the highest level. That's what I feel like you got to pull out your best Vince Scully impression and start talking about your grocery list and what you did last Wednesday. And, you know, you're, you're, you're watching these these kids swim the mile and it's, you know, you got 20 minutes to kill. That's a very good point. And people always say Vince Scully, quote unquote, got lucky or he was, you know, blessed that all his stories – if there were two outs and two strikes and he wasn't done with the story, someone would foul off a pitch. So he had a chance to finish the story. Yeah. <laughs> if you're swimming the mile, you got, you got all kinds of time to get those details. in. it's a very good point. So obviously as a broadcaster, you had a lot of experience with a lot of different, different sports, swimming, baseball, hockey, whatever it may be. So I'm wondering, uh, growing up, what was your experience with sports? Like, what did you, did you play any sports? And then obviously you told us that you wanted to be uh, a hockey beat writer, or baseball beat writer. Uh, so I just want to hear what that transition was like. Yeah, it was uh, it was Pop Warner football in the fall. I was like the worst tight end you could possibly imagine. Uh, but it organized by weight class, so I didn't get pushed around that much. So that was that was fortunate. And then winter, I was a basketball guy. And then summer, you know, spring and summer, obviously baseball. Uh, basketball is probably the sport I was best at, which is interesting because 
I don't know if you guys had this experience, but growing up, you're either like a basketball guy or a hockey guy. And I almost got into like arguments with oh, basketball is better. Hockey's better. But then my first week at BU, um, maybe the first month, the first hockey game. And someone says, let's go to the hockey game. It's the thing to do. And I'm sitting in the student section looking around like I've been wrong my whole life. This is amazing. So ho- hockey just hooked me from the from the first game I was I was at in person. And BU happened to win the national championship that year. That year so that helped. But it, it was crazy how much how much that flipped because um, I, I didn't play growing up. But now now hockey, I can't get enough of it. So I, I see on your on your bio that your your parents were Yankees fans. Um, you grew up in New England, went to BU. Were you a Red Sox fan growing up or a Yankees fan? Such such a complicated question when, when you really <laughs> unpack all of it. But yeah, if, if it's black and white. Yeah, I, I, I was definitely Yankees as a kid, but. Um, I, and I, I appreciate those experiences because the intensity of the rivalry as a non-Red Sox fan in Red Sox nation, I think that just got me hooked on the game. And it's, it is hard to believe, like, I bet you guys wouldn't believe this, but once Derek Jeter retired and once I started working in baseball, it's crazy how your, like your affiliation for certain big league teams kind of fades a little bit. Like, yeah, if you told me when I was 12, I'd be doing Red Sox AAA games. Like, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, but now it makes for me, perfect sense. It's because it's the players you root for, like what I did uh, eight years in the Blue Jays system, one for the Reds, one for the Cubs. And you just kind of root for the guys that came through your organization, guys that you got to know. Um, so it is it is a little backwards sounding, but you look at, I mean, Susan Waldman for the Yankees, she grew up a Red Sox fan. So there, there are examples. Um, but yeah, I the two teams I still care about are the aforementioned 49ers, and my hapless New York Knicks. Okay, so that, that is the only conflict we have. Uh, but uh, Red Sox-Yankees, it's it's a rivalry I just kind of appreciate now. That, that kind of answers my next question. I was going to ask, you know, growing up, if you were always on one, but it sounds like you're just kind of a baseball fan. That's kind of, that's kind of what it's become, yeah. Um, and I, it's, I, I realize how strange it is because you look at me in the AL East, if the Yankees do well, I'm like, okay, my family's happy. Good for them because they're all from Jersey. Um and if the Blue Jays do well, like, all right, all, all the guys I got to know in, in my double-A career, they're doing well. Our manager from the, the Fisher Cats in double-A, he's now the, the big league manager with the Blue Jays. So I, I love when the Blue Jays do well. But then it's like, okay, well, the better the Red Sox do, the, the better it is for us uh, do, doing our Woo Sox games. And uh, it, it's just more fun, obviously. So, uh, yeah, I guess besides the Rays and Orioles, I am, I am pro AL East. <laughs> if I can kind of double back, this is kind of one of our marquee questions. I guess there's, there's two of them. Favorite baseball movie? Oh, uh, so baseball winter meetings in 2011 in Dallas. Uh, it's like a job fair. And we were, uh, you're supposed to go out and network at like the bars or whatever and talk to baseball executives and convince them to hire you, even though you have no skills or experience. And me and my buddies were like two to a bed, four dudes in one room. And uh, Bull Durham was on MLB Network and we were like watching Bull Durham. They're like, we should really be trying to network at the hotel bar. But Bull Durham was so good, we kept it on. And uh, I, I got an internship anyway, so it kind of worked out. I got lucky. But uh, Bull, Dur- Bull Durham for sure is up there. But I think Major League. Major League for me is number one. Um, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Just like the commercial they play early on, the different personalities they have. Um, so if I had to pick, yeah, Major League for sure. Major League is a solid pick. Uh, Clausen, Alex, loves Fever Pitch. Right. It's probably oh. his favorite well- <laughs> movie of all time. Here's the thing. No, no, no. So Fever Pitch is, is a good movie. I'll watch it once a year, max. <laughs> Which but is I think one more time than anybody else in the world. <laughs> I'm just the I'm just the only one who's not completely indifferent on it. I think it has its place in, in Red Sox movie history. 
<laughs> I think it's important. Um, important is a strong word, but <laughs> I think maybe for, for you and your continuing education and just being a professional, Alex, continuing to watch that as a Red Sox podcaster, I think maybe ties into your career. So it makes sense to me. I just, I, one of these days, I'm going to get my season tickets and I'm going to split them up between my buddies. We're going to sit in the living room and I'm going to decide I want to go to that game and they're going to decide they want to go to that game. It's, wow. it's every Red Sox fan's dream. It's all they want to do. Well, it's maybe you can set a record like most times having watched Fever Pitch because it might I be. I think t- I'm going to pass on that record. Kind yeah. of. Hey, I think you already have it. They say that when you do something like this, you have to build like a personal brand. And I would definitely say that Fever Pitch is tied to your personal brand, Alex. And like for better or for worse. I'll still be known as the Fever Pitch guy. <laughs> Boston, I'll be honest, since we've started doing the show, I haven't watched Fever Pitch once. And we've talked so much about it. Haven't watched it once. I don't even own it. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> You're spending money on this? Like uh, <laughs> got the fever. At this pitch. point, it would be it's an investment to just buy it outright. If you're renting it for like six bucks every year. I don't I mean, watch it every year. You just said, just you, said did. you did. I heard that. I would too, say yeah. at most I would watch it one a year, once a year. Ridiculous um all right all right kind of switching back to uh to the red Sox and the woo Sox a little bit so you were the announcer for the fisher cats um in 2018 and then you know you, you get the job with the woo Sox. how did that opportunity kind of kind of present itself well the the, the more i've kind of been able to find out because it, it was like a month before the season started so it all kind of happened pretty fast um but uh, Bill Wanless is the vice president of communications in Worcester, and he's uh, basically a legend, one of my favorite guys ever. He hires the broadcasters. He, he makes the schedule. He signs everything. And um, he's always looking out, I guess, for other broadcasters because they keep losing them uh, to the major leagues. And Josh Maurer had been there eight years, and uh, it was only a matter of time before he got something in the big leagues because Josh is incredible. So he got the Brewers job. Um, and it was kind of late in the uh, the off season, so they're not scrambling. You know, they they posted the job, and they had a lot of applicants. Um, I had known Bill just you know from reaching out early in my career. I, th- I must have applied to the Pawtucket Red Sox job a hundred times, um, so we kind of knew who I was. But the story he said was he was watching a, a college hockey game on Nesson um, a couple of years ago, and he said, "Oh, this guy sounds okay. I wonder who he is." So he he watched until I said you know our names, who the broadcasters were, which I I don't really do that often. Um, so he was like, yeah, I was waiting for like a period and a half, man. Like what the heck? But, um, then he's like, okay, Tyler Murray. So he looked me up and then he's like, oh, he's been doing minor league baseball for a while. Okay. Let's, I guess, keep an eye on this guy. Um, so it's like an annoying validation of what my dad always says, like, oh, you never knew who's listening. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's because in single a, I promise you, nobody was listening. So, but he, he still said that, but yes, I guess it's an example of where, you know, you got to put your best foot forward no matter what the game is. Now, doing a college hockey game on, you know, regional television, obviously I'm going to, you know, put a maximum effort into that. But um, it was definitely a good reminder where uh, you, you never know where an opportunity might come from. I mean, that's a thing that kind of we can relate to, too, in a way where you never know who's listening. You know, back when we're on, this is what, episode 116 or 117 for us. Nice. So back in when we were in the single digits to start out. I mean, we knew that the only people that were listening were essentially our, uh, our buddies and our family. And then lo and behold, somebody more people were listening than we thought. And we gained a little bit of opportunity that way. So that's definitely a, a thing that we can relate with. And I'm sure Gardner, even on a, a different level with, you know, he's 
Cardi, obviously you do the broadcasting too. Do you ever think about that? I'm kind of want to flip the script and ask you a question. Um, I definitely have because Tyler, especially, I think you can, you can relate to this, especially on, on Twitter, you know, sometimes you're, you're doing a game and, you know, especially some of the soccer games I was doing this year, um, you know, I was by myself and you're just kind of up there in, in the booth, you know, doing your thing, having a good time. And you don't really think that, you know, there are families and, you know, a lot of the the soccer players, all a lot of international guys there are, you know, families all over the country. So, you know, sometimes what uh, what kind of is, is the cool part for me is when someone on Twitter is like, hey, you know, thought you did a good job tonight or, you know, someone reaches out like that. That's when I'm, you know, that's when you kind of realize, oh, you know, there are definitely definitely people watching. I haven't had anybody like too high profile say that, but uh yeah, that's Ooh. that's definitely a like a, a cool moment, I would say. Yeah, no doubt. And and shout out to you for uh, I definitely was not getting compliments at your age um on the internet. Uh I remember well you mentioned broadcasting to families and and things like that and, and knowing your audience is like for me one of like the tenets of of broadcasting. Um and early on it is to just a lot of friends and families. And uh, it wasn't me, but someone I was on the air with. I, I'll tell you this story. We're, I was doing a game at MIT. It was a women's soccer game. And there was, a, there was a student athlete who, at midfield, she had her knee in a brace. She was obviously not playing at 100%, uh, struggling a little bit. And my caller guy, who was, a, I think, a fill-in student from somewhere else, he was very young, very inexperienced, he was kind of like ripping this this kid. They're like, man, she, she's just all over the place today. I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, she's injured, and it's tough. So – after the game, a, her dad came into the press box and said, and he was like, he was wound up. He kept his distance, but I was a little worried. Um, and the color guy was between me and him. So I'm like, it was this dude. Uh, so he was, <laughs> he said, Hey, I know you guys are trying to build your broadcast career and you're, you, you want to take it seriously and all that. But like the only people who are listening are like grandparents and, and, and us. So, you know, uh, please keep it positive. And we are like, Oh my God. <laughs> We're never going to make it in this industry. Uh, so that's where you obviously have to skew positive for the most part, um, especially when it comes to student athletes and, and that kind of thing. So know, knowing your audience is obviously a big deal. I had, uh, sorry, Steve, real quick. I had, I had one quick story from from a game I was doing uh, this fall. I was working with, yeah, I don't, I was doing a soccer game. I was doing color. It was a men's soccer game. And my cousin, um, he's on the Northeastern soccer team and he got redshirted. Uh, this year so freshman year he's not playing he's on the bench like again he you know he's not getting a lot of publicity so when we're doing the broadcast I know you know you know Dylan Dylan was like you know let's let's get a shot of your cousin on the bench talk about him for for a little bit so they get a shot of him talk about him for like 20 seconds and this guy I'm working with he's like well, uh, he certainly carried on the the athletic ability in the family that you don't have. And I was like, Yeesh. what? Bro. <laughs> I was what? like, I, I got to stand next to you for 45 minutes and pretend like you didn't, uh, didn't just say that. Wow. I'm I mean, I, 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 I get the attempt at humor for sure. Um, but yeah, you got to. You got to calculate that risk there. That's a miss, unfortunately. But Gardy, I would have taken every opportunity to be like, I remember when I was eight and I stiff armed him in the turkey bowl. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to turn that around. Turn yeah, that right. around. Wow. Um, but, that's that's cool though. I mean, to to broadcast a game that your your brother was a part of. That's actually that's actually really neat. Yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely a cool opportunity. So going into your day by day, 
what is the what does it look like for you to pregame you know prepare yourself to get into a game because it's obviously probably different when you're calling you know UMass hockey versus the Woo Sox. Yeah, it's a great question. The UMass hockey is a week long venture. Um, you're watching their previous games. You're memorizing the numbers of the players. You're interviewing the coaches over Zoom, um, tr- putting together storylines and things like that. Um, baseball, especially now because the series are six straight games, Tuesday through Sunday against the same team. A lot of the the prep work is done on that Monday off day on a Tuesday morning. And by the time you get a couple of games under your belt, you're in pretty good shape. The difference for me with the Woo Sox is I'm, I'm fortunate enough where my, my my job is broadcasting. So I'll show up early in the afternoon. We'll talk to the manager. We'll uh, get a player interview and we'll, we'll get those storylines put together. Um, and our, our producers who put the games out and put them, they get picked up by Nesson. They, they've always got great ideas. Let's run this highlight here or, you know, Brian Bayo is making his big league debut tonight. Let's grab some clips of that and, and patch them in throughout our broadcast. Um, previously with the with the Fisher Cats, I was I was running the the marketing production and the communications department in addition to doing the broadcast, which is a, what a lot of minor league broadcasters have to do. So nine to five was just a completely different world of running around and lining things up. And you'd be lucky if you had like an hour to sit down and, and prepare for, for those games. So that was definitely a, a time management learning experience uh, for sure. And are you looking at once you get, are you trying to get all this stuff in before, try and memorize it so that once the game starts, you can start ad-libbing? Or are you trying to make a script for yourself so that, you know, when this person comes up, I'm going to talk about this. Or when something like this happens, I'm going to talk about that. That's a great question. Um, you, you don't script it all out, but yeah, you'll write a note like, uh, okay, you know, Jaron Durant's coming up. Uh, you write a little note, make sure to reference that great article he did about, you know, opening up about mental health struggles and things like that. You don't write out everything you're going to say, but you just maybe you memorize the article or maybe you just, you guys would know, you know exactly the article I'm talking about. You know exactly how to reference it. It's, you know, it's just a part of co- covering the team and following the team. The memorization comes in for a, a hockey broadcaster, really anything but baseball, because it's so much faster. Uh, if you number 13 passes to number 11, you're doing a BC game. That's the Nestoranko passing to Ambrosio. You have to know that right away. But if it's, you know, uh, Tristan Casas going to the batter's box, I mean, you, you know what that guy looks like. And even if you, you don't know, you can look at your roster. You've got plenty of time. So not a lot of memorization in uh, in baseball. Yeah, so there's like your, your pregame and then even a little bit in the game. But now that you're at a certain point, uh, in your broadcasting career where you've had, you know, a fair amount of success. I was wondering uh, what feels like a victory for you at this stage in your career after a game. And then do you have days where I'm sure players are like, I don't know if I played that great or I had a great game. Uh, do you feel like that's something you go through as well? These are all really good questions. You guys, you guys are good at this. I, I can see why <laughs> you're, you're in, you're in triple digit episodes. Um Victory for me, I guess, if you to put it your way, is if I get to broadcast a game that I'd be watching anyway. Um, so doing BU and BC hockey um, twice a couple of weekends ago, that's like, you know, it's it's cliche, but like that's that's the dream for me, man. It's like you know, I'd, I'd be sitting at home watching this regardless. So it's it's really cool to get to do those games, um, especially as a BU guy. Although it is important to be have a neutral broadcast, so I always get BU guys texting me complaining that i'm too positive about vc when i do those games that, that's that's the job so it's all good um and then you know it, when it's when it's like you don't have a have a great day or a great game you, you just want to nail every single home run call or goal call you want to crush every single one and that's obviously too high of a standard so um you know it's it is tough because you kind of judge your day-to-day on like how did i hit the highlights with the highlights good but you know when you're 
when you're applying for these jobs, a lot of it is more about how are you during a half inning or how are you during a five minute stretch of hockey? So it, it is, it is interesting how we kind of assess ourselves differently, but it, it definitely adds some stress when big moments are coming. Like uh, I tell everybody this, like when a no hitter is into like the seventh or eighth, I start like, Oh geez, if they get an, I, I got, I got to nail this call. They're going to play it a million times, even if I screw it up. So I don't, I don't know how to, how to quite fix that one because I've been doing it for a while now. Uh, we, we had a no hitter in Worcester this year. And I was like, what am I going to say? Which isn't right. The, the necessarily the right mentality to be in. Luckily it was a diving catch for the last out. So we, we could just be like, wow, cool diving catch instead of like history is made in Worcester on a Sunday after something else. You know what I mean? So that it took care of itself. Thank goodness. But that's definitely a struggle um, battling the nerves a little bit. I want to kind of ask um, for you as a broadcaster, obviously um, you're, you're at the, at the stadium, you know, day in and day out, you're following this team probably um, as close as, as anybody around it. So I, I want to ask you what's kind of more enjoyable for you. I know in 2018, you saw uh, the Fisher Cats win the win the championship of their league. Is it more enjoyable to to see a, a minor league team go and win a championship? Because I know winning is important, but at the end of the day, they're trying to develop these players. Or is it cooler to see a you know a guy come up who's you know maybe not the top prospect, but he comes in, does really well, moves up the ranks? What do you kind of enjoy seeing more? We were lucky in 2018 where we where we had both. We had a lot of those those good guys get called up to the major leagues. But Vlad, Bo, and Kevin are also very good dudes. So that was a unique team where the they wanted to keep the whole core in Double A for basically the entire year. Vlad went up after the uh, Hall of Fame induction, because uh, when his dad was getting inducted that year. But for the most part, they I've never seen it before. They kept pretty much everybody there, including the manager. Who would eventually move everybody up to the major league, so you could kind of tell what they what they had in mind. What they, they like their young group of prospects, so they moved them up. I, I think every minor league broadcaster deserves a championship experience. Uh, calling that high level game and you know, getting that championship ring, it's kind of okay. You know, this minor league baseball games, you know, by definition, they you know it. Some people call them like exhibitions, which I think is exaggerating it. But you know, it's it's not the big leagues. Every, everyone's trying to move up to the major leagues. That's everyone's goal, and that makes perfect sense. Um, but to be able to have a winning environment and all that hard work pay off, at least in the immediate future, um, is really cool. But still, I think in the in the big picture, there's there's nothing better than you know a guy that you got along with, or you had some great interviews with, or maybe you had a, a connection with, um, seeing them get to the major leagues and, and and live out their dream. Man, that's 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 the cool part of it, and that goes back to where I'm not so much a, a fan of a team anymore, but just a, the guys that have that have come through. Yeah, I want to backpedal a little bit. You said, you know, the the no-hitter call is is a tough one, but mm. stuff like the home run call, stuff like the goal call that you see, you know, a couple times a game, what, in your opinion, what goes into a good call like that? You know, how do you get yourself into that? How do you get the how do you get the the listeners into that? Yeah, I think it's about um not making it about you. So you don't want to be that dude who's like yelling and, you know, listen to how excited I am. You want to, you want to meet the moment, but not like uh, surpass it, I guess. Um, and crowd noise has a lot to do with it. Um, so that it's polar park is great for that. because our, our fans are amazing. And uh, early in your career, sometimes like audio levels, they'll let you down. You know, sometimes you can peak and it sounds all crunchy and weird. Um, or sometimes you're getting drowned out by the crowd, which I don't necessarily mind because 
Uh, no one's no one's necessarily watching for an announcer. Although Monday Night Football this year kind of, I mean, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, like people are like, oh, I'm I love this because it's Buck and Aikman. Maybe they're that one exception, but I, I've never thought people watch games for for the broadcasters. So you just want to make sure the the players are are the stars. But yeah, I mean, it, you, you want to be smooth, you want to be excited, um, but you also have to um, know the moment. Like if it's like a home run, like 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 an A Rod special from his Yankees career. If he hits a three run homer when they're down ten to two in the ninth, and no one cares, like you're not going nuts. Um, you're uh, sorry, A Rod, if you're listening. No offense, that, but that was <laughs> that happened a lot. Okay, that, that happened a lot. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's just a matter of uh, rhythm, and the, the other issue is not overcommitting if it's not a home run. Um, that 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 luckily for me hasn't happened a ton, but you kind of have to uh, be careful before. Uh, before saying it's gone. Uh, and is that something that you kind of learned as you came along, or does that come when just from listening to guys on the radio, on TV, you know, I mean, there's so many great home run calls. I mean, there was, you know, Bryce Harper's, you know, greatest hit of his life last year in the playoffs. I mean, uh, Don Orsillo had too many to count. Um, does that come from listening to them or does that come from experience? Um, a little bit of both. I think more so experience though, um, because just ju- judging, if a ball is going to get out, do I have, is this a no doubt or do I have time to kind of say something uh, interesting as it's getting out of there? Or do you, especially on radio, do you want to build the suspense? Like it's back at the wall is going to get out. You're driving in your car. You're excited. You don't know. Or if it's swing home run, gone, see, and it's like, okay, well that was fast, you know? So you kind of had to, you like to build that suspense a little bit, um, especially on the radio side. But I think what, what helps is watching, like Andrew mentioned it, this the, on Twitter, like, okay, people are saying this is a good call. Okay, let's find out why. Let's go look. Uh, you look at incredible young broadcasters like Mike Monaco, I always bring up, and then Alex Faust, LA Kings broadcaster for hockey. I always try to watch those two guys because they're doing it at the highest level, and they, they were noticed right away for how good they are, uh, which is great because they're amazing. So, okay, what do these guys do that helps them stand out? Or whenever someone gets a new broadcast job, it's, all right, what impressed their employer about them? So it, it really is a combination of all of it. Um, and that's Mike Monaco was actually he actually said this. He said the best part about our industry is if you want to find out how to be good, just turn the TV on. You just because you can see who's doing it. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, nobody's really watching the game for the broadcaster. I th- think that there's definitely instances where that's the case. You know, last year, the Sox weren't necessarily the best. And then you had X last year. And I think that I found myself watching a lot of the time for Eckersley. And I think people loved him because he built such a unique brand. We all know that the Eckisms were a staple in the the booth for the past few years. So my question is, do you, have you ever considered trying to build yourself like that unique brand where you are saying things that nobody else is saying and you're just trying to see what sticks or are you more, you know, stay between the lines? I guess you, uh, if it's one or the other, it's stay between the lines, but I do like to have a, a decent amount of fun. But in terms of like the quirky stuff, um, I think mostly that makes sense for a color guy like like Eckersley. Um, yeah. I, I told you I'm, I'm a Knicks fan. So Clyde Frazier, he's the dude who says like swishing and dishing and spinning and winning. And beyond that, there's not a ton of analysis, but he's also like the most beloved basketball color guy ever because of his fun rhymes and because he won two championships in the 70s. And they haven't won anything since. But Eckersley, he just came such a long way. I remember when he first started, he was in the studio, I think, with TC. Um, love TC for the record. Um, but Eckersley, he was like, he was like, <laughs> they would lose a game, it would go back to him in the studio and be like, this, 
I don't know what happened. And I'm, I'm like, all right, well, it's, it's your job to tell me what happened. But eventually he just got so good at it. I have so much respect for Ekwa, how much better he got at it. And he became like one of the best in the game. It, not oh, just yeah. being endearing and fun and, oh, we love his phrases. Like he would teach you. He would learn a lot. And that's that's what it has to be. An analyst has to make the audience smarter. And it's hard to do, obviously. And he's 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 accomplished that. So he went out, I think, at the top of his game. Absolutely. Last year for the for uh you know for the Red Sox, it was an interesting year to say the least. A lot of injuries. Um, you know, a couple, you know, bigger guys didn't didn't perform maybe as wanted to. Um, and ultimately I think that fans saw a lot of, you know, people. There were I think like a record number of of players who appeared in games for the Red Sox last year. And, you know, a ton of them played in Worcester. So who were some of the guys last year who stood out to you in Worcester and kind of coming into this season. Is there anybody fans might not, you know, have completely on their radar who you think could make, make a run at the team for, uh, for opening day. You're right. It is a unique year where fans saw like a lot of guys. So it's kind of tough to be under the radar, but for, I I was checking out the non-roster invitees for spring training and Ronaldo Hernandez. He was, he was optioned off of the 40 man roster and it was kind of Connor Wong and Ronaldo Hernandez in Worcester all year. And there were month-long stretches where Hernandez had the better bat than, than Wong. Certainly had more pop. So he's a non-roster guy now. He's one of Bloom's first acquisitions. They brought him over from the from the Rays. So uh, I think Hernandez has work to do catching with, uh, defensively, which obviously is very important. Uh, but he, he made a lot of progress. Um, it was just tough to compare to Connor Wong because Connor Wong's former infielder. He was just so smooth and athletic behind home plate with a really good arm. But Hernandez uh, in clutch hits, um, just hard line drives when he was going. He, he he has a big league bat. So I would say Ronaldo Hernandez, he'll be a fun guy to watch in the spring at the very least. And even including some of those big names, you know, the, Chris, the Tristan Casas, Brian Bayo, who is the most exciting guy to watch for you last year? Uh, it's It might surprise you based off what happened in the major leagues, but the most exciting and like electric Wu Sox player when he was in AAA was Jaron Duran. Okay. That guy was hitting triples once a week, stealing. He stole two bases an inning multiple times, speed, excitement, fired up, big energy guy. Um, so he was incredible to watch Jaron Duran. Um, he, he makes it speed in the outfield, make great diving catches. You know, he was doing everything. Um, Pitcher, uh, Brian Bayo, I mean, enough said there. Incredible stuff. Um, I was surprised he struggled early in his big league career, but um, I think he's in for a big season. And then in terms of energy in the building, uh, whenever Tristan Casas had an at-bat, the place was buzzing. It was it was nuts. And, uh, I mean, a lot of his at-bats were walks because he's a legend when it comes to play discipline, but it was still a, still quite a time. And uh... – Jaron Duran has obviously had his struggles in, in the major leagues, especially with the fans. Did you notice that in Worcester? I feel like there's got to be, if he's that good in AAA, and he just he couldn't get the bat on the ball and in the majors, and he, he was struggling in the outfield. Like, Do you think that had something to do with it? Yeah, I think um, you, you kind of humble yourself a little bit, um, even as a, a guy covering the team where it's like, Okay, this guy's going to be good. That guy's going to be good. This is Triple A. You know, it's like as as good as it gets, except you know the the best league in the history of of anything. And it's like okay, you kind of realize the big leagues is a big jump. It's maybe bigger than ever. And 
we talk to man manager Chad Tracy every day, and a lot of folks ask, okay, what's what's up with Durant? He's so good here. He's not happening in the big leagues. And, you know, he just – he didn't really have an answer. Um, and, and you just – you wonder how much of it was not being able to reach out. Not not not, not even so much on, on the mental health stuff we talked about, but just like someone to help him adjust to that lifestyle and just the, the pressures of, of being a big league hitter. But it's just – Connor Siebold told us in – Triple A, you're going to face one or two amazing hitters every every game. Like top of the line, they're they're not here for long. But in the big leagues, every single dude you face is amazing. So you can't take any batter off. The intensity has to be up at all times, and and that can wear on dudes. It's so it's definitely an adjustment. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, and there's a phrase we like to use. I don't know if we've coined it, but I think that uh, we might have. Uh, it's the quad A player, where if they're in Triple A, they're might as well be prime Barry Bonds down there. But as soon as they hit the MLB, it's like what happened, and they're not they don't quite have the same magic. And somebody who we think really you know represents that is uh, the franchise Franchi Cordero. So whenever Franchi was coming up to bat, did you just feel like he was going to hit a 500 foot home run every time? Because that's what it felt like to me. I can't believe I left him out of the most exciting player question because yes, he 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 was amazing. Um, and no, you did not come up with quad A player. But <laughs> good 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 job independently creating that uh, in in your world. But um, yeah, for that he's probably the best example of. <laughs> he was like Babe Ruth and Triple A. I swear, <laughs> that was amazing. And he had big moments. He had big moments. He had the, the walk off grand slam. Um, so that was great, but. I think maybe it eventually gets to scouting reports and you have most of the same information in AAA, but um, eventually you just wouldn't see anyone throw a fastball to Franchi. Um, and if it was a breaking ball, it was, you know, at the knees um, or, you know, you just stay away from him and you walk him. Um, but then in the major leagues, everyone has the stuff to go attack a guy like that. And it, it didn't quite pan out, but yeah, he, he had some of the, the longest home runs I've ever seen. And uh I watched Vlad Jr. hit home runs off a hotel for like a whole summer. So it's, it's saying something. Yeah, we we had even given him a, a nickname, the Wonder of Worcester. Like he was, he was at that. that you got to text me. You got to text me that. We'll we'll use that. That's good. <laughs> All stuff. right. We got <laughs> we got too many with the French man, the franchise, Wonder of Worcester, Hidden uh, Valley, Hidden Valley French. French. Yeah. <laughs> Hidden Valley French. How was that last? That's great. <laughs> wow. You even have a a graphic with his his face like on the ranch bottle like it's pretty wow. pretty sweet um i gotta step my game up those are, that's that's great stuff, guys. <laughs> i'm telling you he's he's the only one we've really got a, a good collection and nicknames for but uh well, well next year take a look at the roster coming up and yeah we're gonna work those in that's just right. this is you know you know what steve this is it this is the point where we start working in that eckersley type type brand. oh yeah okay we this can is, make this, it happen this levels us up good call we'll, we'll send you a, a list over please <laughs> I wanted to ask you too, because you mentioned the the no hitter um earlier, which it was uh combined no hitter, Michael Waka um was was a part of it, right? Mm -hmm. And what what's it kind of like when I, I know Chris Sale had a couple appearances down there this year. Uh I think it was Kike down there at one point too for for a rehab assignment. What's it kind of like when you know the the big guys from the MLB come down for a rehab assignment? Is it the the atmosphere a little different in the ballpark? Do you prepare a little differently? Yeah, it's um back in back in you know the the double A days, it would it would be a little bit of a scramble. 
like, can we interview this guy? Well, he's kind of doing his thing. He's injured. So it would kind of be a, an interesting experience. Um, and we never got Blue Jays uh, rehabbers in New Hampshire anyway. They all went to Buffalo. But Worcester, we got a ton of them. It was, I think, in the same week, it was uh, Nathan Avaldi, um, Chris Sale, and uh, Kike Hernandez. So that, that, was, that was really cool. Um, and a lot of it just is the behind-the-scenes part of it, where we want to get Chris Sale's press conference because he's going to do a presser after it starts over. Um, and, and we'll still be broadcasting, so let's put that on there. Um, you know, uh, the the weirdly the the highlight, I guess, or the thing everyone remembers from the Chris Sale outing is the TV that he broke. Um, but the the takeaway from our manager Chad Tracy was, yeah, that that you know he got angry, but he also bought everyone food. He bought everyone. I don't, I don't maybe it was AirPods. One of those things that you buy for the whole team. Like he was like the ultimate pro and the, and the best dude ever. So everyone there loves Chris Sale, but yeah, it heightens it a little bit because I mentioned Brian Bayo's first start that we covered a little bit on, on our game. And when he was in the big leagues, that was also Chris Sale pitching in Worcester. So that was it. That, that game was nuts. So it was everything, everything going on at once. Um, so it definitely heightens it a little bit. You figured there are more people tuned in, especially last year where if Chris Sale was healthy, and if Nathan Navaldi was healthy, that's those are guys that the Red Sox really needed. So we, we knew a lot of people would be tuned in. So maybe that's a game where you reset a lot of storylines about other Woo Sox players. Maybe you have to remind people that the pitch clock exists in AAA, which um, people had to be reminded of. So that's kind of where you uh, consider the audience, as, as we've talked about a lot, that it might be a little bit um, less informed about, about the, the Worcester setup. Now I've got one more two-sided question for you. So first one, in your opinion, what's the greatest of all time, past, present, baseball announcing duo? Duo. I mean, I we're getting so many three-man booths lately, but I mean... Uh, you can Don, throw three-man in there. Three-man, okay. So Don, Don Arcillo, Jerry Remy, probably a duo for me. Like, I mean, th- those guys, that's the definition of having fun and the audience having fun because you're having fun. That's like the goal. What, um, what's your uh, What's your favorite like moment from the two of them here comes the pizza okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that's what it is and then there's i'm not going to describe it but the one where jerry is showing a fan shot and jerry oh, yeah. goes, whoops uh, so, <laughs> and then so that, show. exactly so yeah i i still lose it at that um because that like what's that dude doing uh so uh <laughs> um but then i mean i'll keep it red sox but i really enjoyed um when Sean McDonough gets on the radio with Will Fleming and Joe Castiglione, because I've heard from Red Sox fans, okay, let's focus on the game. Like, and I get that, of course. You're, if you're listening in the car, you want to hear every single pitch. But the, the the conversations those guys have in the different eras, I mean, Castig is a legend. Will is on the younger side. And then McDonough's seen everything you could possibly see as a broadcaster. So um, maybe it's just me being a, a broadcaster myself that I, I love hearing those three different perspectives. But Fleming, McDonough, and Castiglione are really cool to, to listen to. So yeah, as we kind of you know wind down this uh this episode, uh if you had to tell any like up and coming broadcaster or even yourself when you first started out like one thing that would you know help them out, what would that be? That's another good question. I, I just I was talking about this to a younger broadcaster yesterday who he's going to start a single A baseball broadcasting job. And I was like, just try to enjoy it, man, because you get so caught up in, okay, I'm here now, but where's this going to get me? You know? And I, I, I did four years in, in the Florida state league in single A looking around a little bit like, okay, um, what's, how long am I going to be here? And um, it's just a matter of obviously getting better and getting more experienced. And um, but it's, I think if I could look back, like, 
Yeah, that was really cool. You were, you were the voice of a team in Florida for four years. You had saw some great players. It was it was awesome. That kind of started to make make your career what it is. Um, but for me, I think if there's one thing about the industry that I'm glad I've learned is you know like networking people. Oh, it's it's who you know, right? And that's just I hate hearing that because well, it's hard. Like, how do I get to know people? Do I cold call people? Do I go to that bar at the winter meetings we talked about and just introduce myself? Hello, I'm a person who I hope you like. Please hire me. Like that's just I that's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around. But what I found is the best version of networking is just brushing it where you're at and people who work with you or uh, employ you, they're going to be motivated to recommend you other places. Um and you guys are on the right track because the whole thing is you have to be able to show that you can do this. So you've already you're already content creators, you know, it, it, and, and this started when you guys were, were students and a couple of you still are. So it's like um, a lot of people out of college are like, OK, I'm ready to be a professional broadcaster. I'm like, OK, what? show us your work. And it's like, well, uh, you have to hire me first for the work to happen. But no, these days you have to make the content on your own. So you guys shout out to you guys for doing that. But the biggest benefit for me hasn't been. And this is back to the networking. It hasn't been going to the head of ESPN and getting them to like me or even like the head of Nesson. It's other broadcasters who um, want to help other broadcasters out. So when I moved back to New England from Florida, I reached out to some guys who were doing freelances like at Harvard or at BU or at Northeastern or Dartmouth. And I was like, hey, guys, if you ever need a fill in or a color guy, let me know. I'm in town. And it started. Oh, I, OK. I'm on this women's hockey game. I can't do it. I'm assigned to men's now. Can you fill in? So yes, I filled in. And then it, it just, it was wild how many people would ask me to fill in. But of course the key is once you get that chance, do a really good job. And then your name starts coming up more and more. Oh, you know, Tyler filled in for me last week. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be good at fencing or whatever. So uh, the biggest help for me, sorry, I know a long answer, but it ties back to the theme. Uh, Jay Burnham is the head of broadcasting at UMass. We met in double A baseball. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it, but we hit it off and uh, he supports me now. It, it, but he happened to get a job where he's assigning broadcasters for UMass hockey, which kind of helped get me to the uh, the hockey's game of the week. And I didn't know when I met him, you know, I'm thinking, OK, I need to meet the AD. You know, I need to meet the, the station runner. But it just you never know who's going to move up in their career and be willing to help, because we all know how tough it is to be a broadcaster and try to get your feet in the door. So anything we can do to help, that's kind of. That kind of makes it all worth it because we've been helped. So we want to help people down the line. So um, I was intimidated by the networking aspect of this career, but it turns out that you just have to be a good dude to be willing to help because that's kind of the whole vibe in the industry. End of answer. Sorry. That was a great answer. That was amazing. I was going to yeah. say, I, I I think that's <laughs> the the perfect spot to end it. I don't think we can, uh, we can top that one. That was kind of, kind of your closing thoughts, but we appreciate you coming on. We're looking forward to, uh, you know, watching the Woo Sox this year. We still haven't gotten down to Polar Park. So this year, uh, oh, yeah. that's, we a, gotta go. that's a we gotta go. I, got, yeah. I got one final question. Do you usually <laughs> drive? Do you do you drive into Polar Park? Usually? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a helicopter. No, it's, yes, I, drive, I drive. What do you well, mean? I, Wait, you know, I don't know. It, it's, I was just going to ask, how many times do you think you've almost died driving through Kelly Square? <laughs> <laughs> great question um yeah they're they uh so several uh, to answer the question but they're developing it they, they got like a gas station now they got i think a, a duncan is a burger king so like it's people say, oh this minor league baseball stadium is going to bring you great success and uh, prosperity in the community and so far it, uh so good uh but but yes uh polar park it's amazing but yes the kelly square kelly square gets busy it does it's a good question though even when it's not busy it's busy 
<laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. That doesn't make any sense, but I know what you mean. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Go Sox, go Woo Sox. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks, guys. See you later. Thanks a lot. All right. There you go. Tyler Murray this week on the show. Appreciate, uh, you know, Tyler coming on again. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And yeah, looking forward to the Woo Sox this year. We, we've we been saying this. This is now the third straight season. Like, we got to get down to Polar Park this year. Not It's a non-negotiable this year. I, I, I feel think. like we know somebody, so, so many people down there now that we got to go. Maybe we'll see, like, Nathan Hickey up there this year. And Chris Nathan Troy gets up to Triple A. Joe Bradley. Joe Bradley. Uh, that's you think Mar- you think Mar- You think Marcelo Meyer makes it to Triple A? Oh. I think he gets a – I think he gets oh, like we a should have. Man, we should have asked him. Nah, I think he gets I think like that a, I think he gets jumping like a all the way from flyer. double to <clears throat> two week flyer at the end of the season. A little, little two week stint. A little two week. I could uh, see it. Yeah, I, I could, could too. I could I I I definitely could too. I don't um, think that's crazy. No, no, certainly not. I've heard crazy <laughs> things. Uh not not a not a ton going on in the in the world of, of socks this week. I think the the big news that I saw earlier in the week was the uh, the Red Sox are putting in LED lights. Or did we talk about this last week? No, I think we got we have not talked about it. Yet. Yeah, so the the Red Sox are putting in LED lights in the at Fenway, replacing the old ones. Cool for the environment. First off, like that's that's sweet. Uh, second of all, the the cooler reason in, in my book, we get to see maybe some uh, home run like light shows at night. Going to be like. RGB. I don't know what that is. Red, green, blue, like color oh, lights. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe something like what the Braves have. Or uh, there's another team that does light shows too, but maybe when the closer's coming out. We still have yet to to see what, what Kenley Jansen picks for his song, his walkout song, because it was, what was it? It was California Love. California. And then what, what, do you, what do you have with the Braves? It was something like Georgia. Uh, Devil went down to Georgia or something. No, Which it wasn't that. Something in Atlanta. That's sweet, though. Something it was like something that. in Atlanta, wasn't it? Because we talked about this a couple weeks ago, like what Boston songs are there. And we talked about the state of Massachusetts and how that would just be a, a wild pick. You yeah. should go rogue and do like uh, like Low Rider. That would be electric. I... Lowell. Rider. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be cool. I saw Red Sox stats on Twitter. Not a fan of the lights. Steve Kloss and I were talking about that when you just went to the bathroom. Uh, he, he said he's not excited for them. And I, I, I well, can't, I mean, you see what Jared said about him. He was like, you know, I, I understand. And I respect the fact that, you know, you got to keep the historical vibe at Fenway park as you know, that's its main charm that it's old and, you know, the most beloved ballpark TM, uh, trademark in the MLB. <laughs> But at the same time, I feel like it would just be way more fun if there were the light shows, if you had some kind of home run fireworks or something like that, if it just, you jazzed it up just a little bit, you know? I understand wanting to keep Fenway like old and classic, but I feel like you have to make these minor changes just to give some, just to give some, some new, some new air into that ballpark. I feel like this is, you need to get the new fans. I feel like this is not like a crazy, crazy modern change. It's like, not. I think it's I'm that, saying that, we that's, need that's to go a, more. No, I agree. Like, 
I, I think give it like a couple weeks, people will get used to it. Like we were what two, three years old when they put seats on the monster. But I gotta think when that happened, people were like, "Oh, what are they gonna do next? Put them on top of the press box?" Like, Wait, that's where the snipers are. Uh, you took the word out of my mouth, Steve. Legit, legitimately, snipers. Where, do you, up where there. do you put the snipers then? On uh, on top of the truly terrace. I'm sure they're up there too. What? Why? Why do they need snipers? I've always wondered that. In case Is it security. Yeah, in case I, obviously down, it's man. for security. That was a dumb question. Obviously. In case something goes down, bro, I feel safer personally knowing that somebody is up there, like a watchful protector. Oh, I wonder what your resume has to be like to get that job. Or do you think they they outsource it to like the military and like, well, there's it's a base probably around, like a like National Guard, maybe something like that. I, don't know. I wonder yeah. because you know how so they need police detail, of course. Yeah, and that's like. If you're in BPD and you get assigned a Sox game for detail, like that is the best job you can get. I mean, think about the bullpen cop. That guy had the That's best what I job mean. in the like, world. Like, like if you're the bullpen, if you if you walk in on a, a Friday afternoon and they're like, "All right, you're going to Fenway for detail, and we're putting you in the bullpen," like I would quit after that. Like your police career is not getting better than that. I think typically. I, I wonder if. I wonder if it's the same thing for those snipers. Like you, you walk into work that day and they're like, all right, you're going to stand on the, on the truly terrace at the Sox game. I think, yeah. I think it's, you typically to get in like the good, the real good places. Uh, you might have to uh, know somebody, you know, who's, who's assigning the, uh, the details that day so that you get the good one. But uh, I don't know. I don't know how it is these days. It is pretty crazy when you're sitting up on State Street because they have them on like both the first base and third base line. Like if you're on the third base line, you can see them on the first base side. But it is pretty crazy, like especially when you're sitting towards the the back of that section. You're like, there is a guy like 10 feet above me with a huge rifle just perched above me. Yep. Anyway, LED lights at Fenway Park. Sweet. Sweet. They're cool. They're cool. I'm pumped. I don't know if they're really going to make that much of a difference, but I'm for it. I think they are. I think they are. I think some good offseason I think it, talk. I think it matters most when you're hitting dingers and bringing the closer in. I don't know. Imagine if you had like Koji coming out to Sandstorm with like the strobe lights going. Oh, okay. Yeah, that like that would have been sweet. Or exactly. Papawan was shipping up to Boston with like green green lights. I think I'd be I'd be tempted to just like. I don't know, build a brick wall and run through it. <laughs> Just to do it. Like, build it up, tear it right down. If there were more, like, cool things like that, I feel like, I mean, Fenway, when the Sox are good, already sells out pretty much every game. But I don't know. I feel like there would just be more fanfare. That's the word. I want the fanfare. Can we uh, rebrand our pot? Or, like, not rebrand, but can we become Gombridge? The most beloved Red Sox podcast has that like been trademarked. Has anybody yet? ever has anybody I, ever done that? I don't. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. We we partner with America's most beloved ballpark to become America's most beloved Red Sox podcast. Wait, has any? Can we? I think someone have... definitely does that already. Oh, I that's I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty sure. I don't know, Jim. There's like eighty Red know. Sox. There's like eighty Red Sox podcasts now. Clausen. So if you but want to who's go, who's the most beloved? I don't know. 
I want the most to popular. Most popular, maybe not. Most beloved. Oh, you yep. betcha. I'm. I have a feeling it's one of like the big ones that says I don't know, Jim. America's most beloved podcast, or like know. one of, one of the network pods. No, like one of the like, you know, like Jared or Steve's. Yeah, yeah. I don't I think I've say never heard Steve. them say I it. Wanna say, I want to say I want to say I was listening to Inside the Monster and and Steve was like, "Welcome back to ITM, America's most beloved podcast." I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Jim. I think we could. I think we could slide in there. That's I feel a, like that's a big thing to lead up to. The fact that we were just talking about snipers two minutes ago. Dude, yeah, but it's all, it's all love the game. Talk, I guess the game. Keep, they're keeping us safe. Keep they us are safe. keeping us safe. I think dibs. Yeah. Dibs. Yep. No one can take it anymore. Sorry. We got dibs on being. America's below most beloved. Uh, are we are we gonna go Red Sox podcast or just podcast? Why why don't we just go big? Just America's why not just get podcast, right? America's yeah. most beloved podcast. Yeah, America's wow. most beloved media source. America's most Let's beloved. Let's cover TV, radio, and podcasting all at once. I mean, people are gonna want to hop on this train after us. So if the, the bigger the bigger the umbrella, the better. I feel like we're cracking the code. Right I now. do too. I mean. The Red Sox probably owe us money at this point. I feel like people are going to be, they're going to see us on Twitter and be like, dude, most, no most beloved, beloved podcast? Them? Yeah, you bet. You betcha. And then they're, like, they're going to be like, I did. I mean, they're the most beloved. Then I got to yeah, give this a listen. I mean, you're not just going to throw that label around for nothing, right? <sighs> it, it wasn't just three guys just it's talking big. on episode 118 and just and like, it, fuck it. We're, we're the most beloved podcast. And it wasn't like a given title. Like we earned this title for sure. We didn't self-proclaim it at all. I, I lock it in. <laughs> all right. Uh, we got some questions, by the way. From who? <laughs> They're, uh, Come on. They come, uh, this week they come in uh come in from Matt this week. Oh yes. All of them? Fire. All uh all three of them. Yep. All right. First question comes in from Matt. He says, other than the US in the World Baseball Classic, what team are you rooting for? Mm, I don't know. I feel like rooting for the DR is too easy. Even though like Rafi's there and they're electric and Brazil World Cup. Yeah, it's like I you know, as much as I respect the DR, I think I'm gonna go with I would love to see like Otani just absolutely power Japan to like at least a finals appearance. Like if he just pitches and hits so good, and Japan obviously is like probably a top like three or four country, right? We probably Yeah, I think um, probably three baseball. Uh, I would, I would love to see, I would love to see that. So I'm going to go with Japan. Do you say, or do you see that Lars Newbar is playing for, I think it's Japan and then Tommy Edmonds playing for Korea. No, I did not see those things. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, my, I, I would say probably the Netherlands because outside of the U S that's like the only, well, I've been to Aruba. That's the only country outside of the U S I've been to, but it's a, it's a Netherlands, like Dutch I don't know how Dutch ruled country, I guess is how you, you describe that. Um, and Xander, you know, miss him, but he plays for the Netherlands. I think Kenley Jansen might be playing for them too. Not positive. Um, is he yeah, catching? I'll, 
dude, that would be sweet. He's got a, a rifle. Speaking of Cannon, um, I'm going to go with the Netherlands. I'm looking at some of these pools and some of them are just completely unfair. Like what are the odds that Israel and Nicaragua have any prayer against the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico? Israel has some former MLB players on it. We see I don't, yeah. right. I I don't think, think LaVarnway's on that team. Really? I think so. He was. Which one? Israel? Israel. Would, uh, am I wrong? Was Ian Kinsler ever on that team? He, I think he was. I think he was. I think he was. I think he was. But uh, I guess that's neither here nor there. Uh, realistically, if you run into the DR, uh, unless you're like the US or Japan, uh, or maybe even Cuba, like you're going to get absolutely rolled. So, yeah. Tell stuff. All right. Uh, next question. Clawson. All right, I guess I'm just not going to answer. Okay, Clawson. Uh, I think what do we hold on? Because there's two Chinese teams. There is. There's Chinese Taipei and China. Um, okay. There's actually I talked to a kid about this yesterday. There are three people, two people, on the Chinese team named Chen Chen. Wow. What are the odds? You guys remember? Probably pretty good. You remember Bruce Chen? How did I forget? Former, I think he was a, what, Oriole? See. Yep. But what, like, what are the odds that two completely different people get the same name and also end up being so good at baseball that they make the same world baseball classic roster? I got to think Slim. I got to think Slim. Have you so I feel like if the if the odds are already in their favor, then I feel like China is going to make a, a a Cinderella run. You're on the Chen Chen train. Yep. Is they, it? Yeah. I guess would, would would it then be the Chen 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 train? Yes. Six Chen. This. It's kind of it's it's interesting to look at these teams because these guys are definitely built different. Like most of these guys are somewhere around like five eleven and like one seventy one eighty. And then, like, let's go to the Dominican Republic, and you got like Devers, you know, Guerrero, six five two twenty five, six seven two forty five. You know, yeah, it's just it just seems unfair. That's what's cool about baseball, man. It is be, cool. I mean, they they, a... they win it. They play a different game, and they yeah. win a different way. Exactly, exactly. Death uh, by a thousand cuts. This is gonna be a, a hell of a segue here. Speaking of size, next question comes in from Matt. He uh-huh. says, "What do you guess your body fat percentage is?" I'd say like a cool, calm, like thirteen percent. I don't. I don't know what like a, a standard baseline is. I feel like Steve is somewhere near like DK Metcalf when he came out of the draft at like negative one point two percent. DK, that was such a, a a phony thing. He would be dead so so quick, or like it's so. Uh, he he said he was at like two percent. Like the best bodybuilders in the world are like not even at two percent. They're like four, and I'm pretty sure you need at least three to be a live person. I don't know. I'm probably sitting at like, and probably like around like ten to fourteen, somewhere around there. All right. So here's tell. what I'm looking at. I found a chart. Is there a way to calculate this? There's a calculator. Not a like, good I way. Like there's like ways right you can it. figure it out, like a DEXA scan oh, or man. stuff. I just clicked on this, and this looks like uh, holy crap. Can I share a lot of numbers here? What What is my neck size? Uh, I don't. I don't know. All right. So here's what we got. Uh, essential fats is two to 5% in men athletes are somewhere between six and 13% fitness, 14 to 17% acceptable 
18 to 24% and obese is 25%. So I'm going to say I'm somewhere around like 16% now. I would say I'm definitely more than probably, or I'm definitely more than both you guys, but I don't know the exact number. Yeah. I don't know. Like Uh, 13 or 14 ish, probably 21 to 25. I'll say like 20 ish. I I, I really don't know. This is weird because I'm looking at this other chart and it says 21 to 25 ideal would be anywhere from nine and a half to 13 and a half. Nah, uh, that's low. I guess I, deal maybe but average the lower you are in 21 yeah like a healthy range you don't want to even be too low because then like you can't produce as much energy and you're constantly fatigued and all this other stuff you look sick probably i bet but i don't know if it's worth all right i just calculated it and it says 17 percent that i don't know i don't know i don't i don't don't know it seems healthy it seems healthy you know Really healthy. Um, you feel healthy? Yeah. That's Sometimes. Good. Next question comes in from Matt. He says, uh, oh, this is this is just like a classic Matt question. We had uh I can't classic remember Matt. when we did this. Classic, classic Matt. Matt. Classic Uh-oh. Matt. <laughs> classic. So classic. Uh you remember when we did the state power rankings? It was like Idaho, Montana. Yep. Uh, at the bottom, right? Yeah. <laughs> Power rank these pets. All right, okay. we got we got five. Dog number one. Nope. Ferret, hedgehog, hermit crab, tarantula, snake. I'm gonna put these in the chat just so I don't have to repeat. Yeah, myself. I can. I, 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 you already have lost me. I think I already have a good grasp on this. I'm gonna say snake at five. I don't fuck with snakes. Good pick. Snake at five. Give me hedgehog, uh, ferret at four. They freak me out, man. <sighs> Dude, they're freaky looking. He- ferret at four. If you're, if give we're give being me- honest, the ferret's like a furry snake in a way. You know, me- it's not a rodent. That's why I put it four. So I got snake. At five, hairy snake ferret at four. Give me hermit crab at three, tarantula two, and hedgehog one. I got hedgehog. And I'll tell you why I put tarantula two. Because I feel like, I mean, number one, tarantulas live forever. You just feed them crickets and they go to town. You don't want that thing in your house. But that's the thing. It's like you got to take care of it or else it'll get out. And then, oh, my God, I have a tarantula on the loose. Yeah, and they're like they're pretty domesticated. Alone. Like if you get like a, a <laughs> domesticated wild... tarantula, I'm just saying. If you go pick one up, I'm just saying if you go pick one up out of the Amazon forest, like it's gonna be feral and it's gonna bite you and it's gonna suck. But I feel like if you get one at the store, then like they're not feral. What do they do at Petco? Like no free ads. <laughs> like train the tarantula. <laughs> like no, yeah. you don't. You if don't you bite really people. You don't bite people. You're good around people. I'm I, telling I, you. Hold on. I, I can't imagine that. All right, yeah, got, you guys can get. I'm gonna do some research on these pet tarantulas. Right. Right. I got I hedgehog, ferret, tarantula, hermit crab, snake. That's, that's my. That's a good list. I'm I'm pretty similar. I'm gonna go snake five. I hate snakes. I'm not scared of anything, or like I'm not really scared of anything. Like people are scared of heights, scared of 
I don't know. Gunner has no fears. I got no fears except for snakes. I hate snakes. They make me wildly uncomfortable. Like, how are you moving so fast? You've got no legs. Um. Also, claustrophobia is another one that, that kind of scares me. Get a little, a little uncomfortable with that. Right. has no fears except for things he's scared of. I've learned a lot about tarantulas in the last minute. Okay. Uh, first article, tarantula toxicity is a rare occurrence. There's over 900 species of tarantula. They are popular as pets. They do possess venom, and the vast majority of tarantula-related injury occurrences are as a result of, I'm going to assume that Yurticating. I'm going to assume that means I'm going to assume that means poisonous hairs. Uh, but then you go down. <laughs> the fact you read, how likely are tarantulas to bite? Someone so smart asked that. All species of tarantulas bite. However, they do not like to bite people. It cannot be stressed enough that tarantulas will only bite a person as a very last resort. It's and not then, common until it happens to you. Well, I, I'm not going to put my tarantula through that much stress. How do you stress a tarantula out? I'd hate to know, be like... stressed out a tarantula. <laughs> no, nothing worse. So you, I like, think buy, it, buy I that think... thing a lounge chair for if it's. Would you call it a terrarium? It. I'm pretty sure you have to keep it like half water, half land. I don't think they can survive without like a, a water <laughs> ecosystem. You should. I don't know set if that's the case. I'm ecosystem. pretty sure that they're like found in deserts, but. Clawson, you should set up like your whole living room. Like you put sand, like rocks, plants, water, just like this whole like like three hundred square foot area just for one tarantula. Really, really give them uh, give them a great experience. All right, maybe I'm wrong. Tarantulas live in well, oh, dry, well drained soils in open areas throughout the desert and grassland areas. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm going to go snake number five for my list. Number four. I'm, I'm not buying the tarantula as a pet. I'm, I'm still sticking that at, at number four. Number three, give me the hermit crab. Number two, I'll take a ferret. I think, I think they're kind of cute. I, I don't, I don't hate them. And then number one, hedgehog easily, easily. Hedgehog is a good pet. It's a great pet. What's the, what's the weirdest pet you've ever had? Bearded dragon. Wow, I've had like a fish and a cat in my life, so nice. I'm, I'm kind of on the on the basic train here. My, yeah, we had I I had many many a fish, a couple of hamsters. My my parents told me this maybe three or four years ago, and this really ruined part of my childhood. Um, so I had like three fish, or I no, there was one point when I had this like this very like generic looking goldfish, and I guess. I I had thought this thing lived for like three or four years. I guess what had happened was um, my mom would check if uh, like almost every day if it was still alive. And if it had died, she'd like text my dad and be like, hey, you got to grab another goldfish on the way home from work so we can replace it. So I probably had five to six fish that I thought was the same fish. And then one time I discovered it before my mom and it was this whole thing we had to do the whole the whole funeral and bury it in the yard and like, oh my you gosh down the toilet so yeah, sad I feel like that's that's disrespectful to put a, a water animal and bury it outside i i i, I think how, i think it was how would you feel outside. how would you feel if someone flushed you down the toilet instead of buried you in the ground huh i wouldn't care i'm dead <laughs> giant toilet 
so yeah, I was, they were just kind of like, yeah, the, the guy at the pet store knew me, uh, knew me by my first name. Cause I was there every other week getting a new fish, You'd bring like a bag of quarters, 93 cents for the, uh, for the fish. What a time fish that thing's <laughs> not living long. No, no. So I was like, that's, that's great. That's great. Really, uh, teaching, teaching great values here. Um, close not the nine. Great episode. Good episode. I got nothing additional. Got nothing additional. I don't, I don't got too much. Uh, I'm just I'm pumped for the season. I uh, I was in Boston on on Thursday, and uh, had a little time to kill in between catching trains. I, I walked around the Fenway area a little bit, and I'm getting amped for the season. I'm I'm excited. I'd love to try to get down for opening day. Um, it's a Thursday afternoon, which I know might be tough, but I thought the opening day was on a Sunday. No, it's on a Thursday this year. What? No, it's not. I think it is. I'm almost positive it's on a Sunday. I don't know, man. Sure, we'll be at Fenway once, at least. Anyways, if you enjoyed what you listened to. I just gave you guys chances to, to do Closing Out the Nine. Steve declined, and you were just like, good episode. Oh. No, I actually do have something. I actually have a bone to pick. Okay. Um. Well, first, hold on. Whoa. Oh, it is a Thursday. I'm dumb. Yep. Yeah, All right. Fine. Opening I day on a Thursday. Seems pretty confident in that. So. Yeah, I was pretty confident in it. Um, I don't know where I got Sunday from, but so be it. Um, I got a bone to pick. I uh, I like to go to the local watering hole on Wednesday nights and uh, go play trivia. And one of the questions was, <laughs> it's like a family feud style kind of thing. And one of the questions was, you know, name like the most like infamous home run hitter. That's such a subjective thing. It was like, you know, like the best home run hitter. Something like, right, like it's fucking Barry it's Bonds. Barry Bonds. Like, you yeah. know, single then season, maybe. all time. Okay. I was like, all right, like, all right, I got this in the bag. So I, I submit Barry Bonds. And, uh, you know, the answers come around and they give you the top four answers. Barry Bonds wasn't even the top four. What? Right? Who was so I went up to the host and I, I I know the host. And I'm like, what the f-? I'm like, what is this? Like, how are you gonna how are you gonna ask this question and leave Barry Bonds out of it? What do you say? They don't make the questions, I guess. Who who were the top four then? Uh it, it was actually only three. It was uh Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, and Someone else. I guess they were going no steroids. Williams Ostadio. Yes. Nice. Um, no, I, I couldn't believe it. We lost points by giving the correct answer. That's ridiculous. Isn't it? I'd protest. I'd protest. We still won, so it didn't really matter. You go. But you gotta get out of the dugout, draw the P. I should have thrown the red flag. Throw throw the challenge flag. Throw the challenge flag. Are you gonna get mad if I close up the episode right now? No, I, I've yeah. spoken my piece. Okay. We appreciate you for tuning in to Gombridge this week. Episode 116. If you enjoyed what you listened to, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Gombridge Podcast and Twitter at Gombridge. Don't forget to subscribe to our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And America's most beloved podcast will be back next week. 
with episode 117. See ya!